Good morning. Beautiful song. Well, it's, uh, it's been a privilege to be able to partner with, with Dave and Sarah over the last few years. We consider them a, a crucial part of the team, our team, and what we're doing. About a year ago, I was in their home. Uh, I was able to, to participate in what they're doing in Arco Verde and see uh, them in action. And I can tell you that it's, it's a great partnership you have. You know, they're, they're a great couple, and God's doing some amazing things. So continue to work with them, walk alongside of them, support them, pray for them, bless them, uh, because God is using them greatly. Uh, Dave and I go way back, uh, the other Dave, Dave Grafe, uh, back to college days many years ago. And then Dave and Monica, and my wife and, and myself, with our families, planted a church in Costa Rica together. So that's our history. Uh, before that, my family and I were church planters in Ecuador, uh, the Andes. And so we've had uh, many years in Latin America are now... Uh, helping to lead servant leaders um, in its ministry in North, Central, South America, and now also in Europe. So we're, we're excited about what God's doing. As we look forward to 2019, it's hard for me to believe that this uh, is the last Sunday of 2018. Uh, the older I get, they say that the clock continues to tick faster. And I guess your age signifies your speed, and so my speed is definitely increasing, and it feels that way every year. As we look forward into 2019, there are two words that theologically I've held on to for many years, and, and as I get older, they become more and more significant in my life. The word and the idea of sovereignty and providence. The fact that God is sovereign over all things and theologically in control, and not a God that is at a distance looking and hoping things turn out, but He is providentially involved in every aspect taking even the product of the fall of man and the sin that's been produced and is able to move and flow and accomplish his plan. That's something to me that brings great comfort. For many years, I fought against God's will in my life, not understanding what it was about and his desire to transform me and making me into something that only he could see because at that moment, I could not imagine. And many of you, as you move into 2019, you'll set goals. You'll think about what you want to accomplish, who you want to become, and you'll maybe even write those down and shoot to hit those marks. But what I want to explain to you and review really quickly this morning is the idea that God in His providence and in His sovereignty is involved in making you into somebody only He can imagine. You can't see it right now. You can't envision it. But he can. He can see it. And his desire is to take you and transform you and use the circumstances, the opportunities that will come in 2019, both good and bad, to make you into something that is far, far greater than you can imagine today. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. The, the story of David is, a, is a, a well-known story. It's a story of somebody who... Started off with nothing and became what humanly we look at and say had everything. This morning, through a, a brief story in the life of David, I want to share with you really two guiding principles that will help you keep north. Okay, as you walk through 2019, it will help you keep north in front of you. Two guiding principles and four actions. So the guiding principles come from just a basic overview of David's life and an idea of how God took somebody who was nothing and made him into a king. 
a man who we all understand and look at the, the life of uh, Goliath, uh, David and Goliath and how he reached a pinnacle of fame. He took down a giant. He was given the daughter of the king. He accomplished amazing things. And you and I would look at that and say, what, what an amazing story. What an amazing story. And the first guiding principle to keep north is that it is a story. It's not an event. It's not just one day or happening. It's a story. The story of the life of David. We can look back and read in the pages of the Old Testament and we can see how it was developed. Now for many of us, we look at an event or a moment in time and we get caught up in that circumstance or that situation. We forget the story. We forget that God is involved. That God is not a God of far away. He's not far off. That He is not just hoping things work out, but He is involved in developing a story in our life. And when we find ourselves in the moments, and you can look back at 2018, and there are moments you wish you could erase from the calendar. And as you look forward to 2019, I'm sure there will be more of those moments where you wish you could take them and wipe them away. But the fact of the matter is that if we get caught up in those moments... And we become discouraged in those moments. We, we lose our vision for the future in those moments. We lose our ability to understand that God is unraveling a story to work and accomplish in our lives. David went from killing a giant to being named by God future king, marrying the, the princess. What a story. He was a conqueror. And that conqueror became defeated. The same king who gave David His daughter now turned out to be the man who wanted to murder David. The man who took back the princess and gave David's wife to another man. His story unraveled. His circumstances went from you should have everything, you should feel like you're on top of the world to a moment of despair, discouragement, depression. But he understood that it was a story. And as David fled... As you look through the pages of 1 Samuel, as David fled for his life, he was surrounded by men and women who were the least of the people of that time. Not the best. But he understood that the story was important. The second second principle is this. Circumstances do not determine who I am. It's my ability to react, how I react to those circumstances. And David had over and over again opportunity to walk away and shake his fist at God and say, I'm done with this. You've got to be kidding me. I have to run for my life. You name me king. I should take my position. I deserve. I've earned this. And the fact of the matter is, even in fleeing, in the stories we have in the first and middle part of, of 1 Samuel, we understand that David, surrounded by men and women who are also not the down and outers of, of, that, of that time period, surrounded him and he fled to his enemy, the Philistines. He fled to the Philistines seeking refuge because the king wanted to kill him. His own people wanted to take him out and he flees. And the Philistines give him harbor and they give him a city, a town, Ziklag, and they say, you can stay here with your men, you can make this your town, but we're going to put you to work, right? We're going to make you earn your stay. You're the mighty warrior who killed our champion. Now we're going to put you to work for us. And so David had to live in this situation that was less than perfect. But he understood that there was a story being unraveled by God. He had just to hold on. And he understood that really God's desire to work in his life 
was for something far greater than he could imagine. He needed to understand that God was in control. And as we look through the chapters and get to what we're going to read this morning in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, we can easily get lost in the idea that the circumstances of my life give me the right to be discouraged, to be depressed, the finances that I find myself going into 2019, the sickness that has taken over my body, my family situation, my work situation, and we get caught up in that moment. And I want you to understand that God is a God that is close and present. He is a God who is sovereign over all circumstances. And He's a personal and providential, providential God that wants to be involved in creating you into a man and a woman that only He can envision. And that spiritual transformation that starts from the inside out, not the outside in, is not an easy transformation. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we find David in this town of Ziklag. Let me read for you, starting in verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ananam and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abithar, the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. So Abithar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Asar where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Azor. David finds himself, after raiding, going out for the Philistines. He's taken all the men, and he's gone out and raided. He comes back to his village where his family, the other men's family are, and he finds it destroyed. It's destroyed. It's burned. Everything's taken. So they're tired, they're hungry, and now they find that their home has been destroyed. The Amalekites, who have been raided, obviously, by David and his men, are seeking retribution, retaliation. They found out that David and his men were going to be gone, and so they come in and they destroy the town. David is faced with something you and I cannot even imagine or comprehend. So quickly this morning, I want you to take those two guiding principles, and I want us to look really quickly at the life of David in this story, and understand that David responds four ways. He takes four actions that as we go into 2019, will permit us to open up our lives to the sovereignty and the providence of God, who is working something for His purposes and for our benefit. He wants to work something in our lives that we can't see right now. 
And if we could see it, we probably would resist it and run the other way. But if we can arrive at the point where David was in this story, we can permit the powerful hand of God to make us into something that's far better and greater and brings more honor and glory to Him than we can imagine. So David arrives in this town. He sees that everything has been destroyed. He sees that his family has been taken. He's troubled. He's had a life that, if you, if you recount with David in this moment, he could have stopped and looked back and said, man, I've had to live in caves. I've had to, I've had to eat dirt. I've had to be surrounded by men and women who are also discouraged and depressed. He had every reason at this moment to throw down his sword and say, enough. I am done with this. But he doesn't. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't look to his men at this moment and look for consolation and affirmation. He doesn't retreat. The first action that David takes is he stands his ground. He sees the challenge and the adversity as one more opportunity. He's deeply impacted. The scriptures tell us of how deeply they, they wept as men and mourned. It exhausted them. It exhausted them so much that later on we find out that a, a good number of them were so burned out from weeping in mourning, they couldn't go on with David to find their families. These guys were spent. They cried so hard. We find that not only were these men spent emotionally in reacting physically, weeping, but they wanted to stone David. They wanted to rise up against David, the man who, who led them on this journey and who led them to maybe do a raid and left their families vulnerable. They wanted to kill him. So now David has his past. He's questioning, what, what are you doing, God? How's all this working out? What, what's the story going to look like in my life? He arrives at this point. The village is destroyed. He stands before these men, and they're weeping and crying and mourning their families, and they're, they're saying to each other, let's take him out. He is the problem. He is the cause of all this. But David doesn't do that. He stands his ground. He doesn't retreat. He moves into the pain. He moves into the problem. He moves into the circumstance. Years ago, we were on the border of Mexico studying Spanish. Many years ago. I sat in a room with a group of missionaries. And another missionary, an older guy, who was in his, probably his late 60s at that time. And I was in my late 20s. And he stood before a room full of missionary couples that were all ready to go out to Latin America. We were learning Spanish together. We were all, all going to be spent, sent to different, different spots in Central and South America. Who knew what the future would hold? He stood before us and he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm going to tell you one thing. You will have a moment in your life, in the near future, when you will question everything. Where God will bring you to your knees in such a way that you will want to run the other way. It will be a turning point in your life. I can remember those words like they were yesterday. And I can remember our years in, in Ecuador just waiting for that moment. There were many moments where we wanted to pack up our things and leave that I said to my wife, I've had it, I'm done. The circumstances are too great. And she would say, no, sit down, you'll be fine. But that one moment came. 13 years ago. 13 years ago, I stood in the emergency room with my wife. 
And the nurse came out and said, your twins are going to be born now. And it was only 26 weeks. And they were a pound, over a pound apiece. That moment turned into a, a moment that would move me to my knees for two years. That would make me question the call of God, the placement of God over our lives and our ministry. You see, there are many moments in your life that you can go back, and that was a huge one in our lives, and I've had many that have been since then and worked up to that, but that was definitely a moment when God took me to a place where I wanted to retreat. As you face 2019, you will want to retreat. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Testing stinks. Difficulty is all around us. We don't get it that the moment we are invited by the gospel, when it is presented to us, and that gospel, through its grace and mercy and love, comes in and impacts us and gives us new life. It gives us, gives us a life that is not satisfied with where we are at. It gives us a life that does not say, take this, have a seat. You're okay. But that gospel now becomes a shining light that, that shines so bright into the innermost parts of my life and begins to clarify for me its desire to make me into something that I maybe don't want to be at that moment. Something that maybe I can't imagine. How many times I've heard somebody who is born again by the power of the gospel and they say, or they believed, that all things were going to be great from that point on. That God would take care of all their needs. That suffering would be no more. David faced a burnt village. This is three wives now he's lost. His children are gone. And the men who are following him want to kill him. But he does not retreat. He stands his ground, and he waits. He waits. It's amazing here that we see that when David faced this difficulty, he calls on somebody. He calls on a man with a strange name that I mispronounce every time. A priest. This priest has a backstory. This priest had a father, had a family, and they were all murdered because of David. His father, consulted by David, gave David direction as the high priest. Saul finds out about this, comes to the town, kills the priest and all of his family, and his son flees to David. So it seemed that everybody who touches David is in big trouble. Everybody who comes in contact with David, who's supposed to be the touched one, the blessed one, the, the man who kills giants. People come close to David and they suffer. But David turns and in his despair he decides, I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to look for affirmation. Guys, come, come around. Let, tell me I'm doing okay. It's going to be alright. Let's just console each other. He doesn't do that. He doesn't shake his fist at God and say, why one more time? 
Are you testing me? He understands the story. And he turns to the high priest. He calls the priest. He asks him to come. And he tells him to bring the ephod. Now the ephod is an amazing thing. It's a garment. And it sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings. Because on this garment, there are stones, right? But there are also two principal stones. And these stones, which sound like they're from the, the Lord of the Rings, Urim and the Thurim, they were used to consult God. So David, in his despair and his discouragement, and they've wept and they cannot weep anymore, guys want to stone him, so he's holding back the, the, the desire to run and flee. He turns to God. You see, he doesn't, he doesn't retreat. He doesn't run. But now we find David in a position where he turns to God and he is willing to rest before him. So he turns to this priest and he immediately seeks him. We find it in Psalm 18, 4 through 6. Let me read this for you. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. He turns to God in the moments of greatest despair. Not trusting in himself. Not rallying others around him to solve the problem. But he seeks to bow before God and consult, what do we do now? What do we do now? Now, the, the stones that we see that were used, the Urim and the Thummim, that were used by the high priest to consult God, we're not sure if they, were, they, were, they glowed, if they were asked yes or no questions, and, they, and because of what happened with the stones, if they tossed them, we're not exactly sure. But when David turned to the priest, he was seeking God's direction to what to do for what to do next. Now, many of us, we have Urim and Thummim in our lives. We've created mystical ways that we determine how to get out of problems that we find ourselves in. You look back at 2018 and you can see patterns in your life when you faced great distress, whether it was economic distress, family distress, difficulties. We have a tendency to become mystical. We have a tendency to, to desire to find out, okay, I need answers now. I need to find out what steps to take. We pull out the Urim and the Thummim. And we try to determine, what's yours? What do you use? What do you run to? Who do you run to? Where do you go? Reflect. As you go forward, will you be willing to rest? Rest in your place before God, understanding that He is a sovereign God, a God of not far away, but a God who is close up. We are not deists. God is not somebody who placed everything in control and, and stepped away and just lets it move forward in the way that it does. But he knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the, the desires for your life. And that you can rest in your position before him and yield your life to him in sickness or in health, in want, in plenty. Because he's working out something very specific in your life. 
The fact that David turned his eyes to God immediately signified an understanding that God had accomplished an area of work in David's life that he did not trust in himself. He was desiring to make a king who was not a king based on his own power, based on his own looks. He had that in Saul. He was desiring to transform a man who would yield before God, who would arrive at moments in his life and recognize, I am nothing. I am nothing. You are everything. I cannot raise up trophies of success or accomplishment. I cannot seek to find strength in myself or others in the greatest moments of need. I am nothing before you. Because in my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. And he reached out to me. So we find that the priest turns to David here and says, after they've consulted... Shall I pursue, verse 8, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue you shall. Go after them. It's a pretty short answer. He doesn't say go east, west, north, south. He just says pursue. We don't know exactly the specifics, but I can imagine David rallied all the guys together and they went out. When our twins were born, they spent... uh, Let's see, over three months in intensive care. They came home, they were six months on oxygen. And during that period of time, the, the thing that, that I was holding on to the most was how to get them back to Ecuador. I wanted to return to Ecuador. I had to go back to Ecuador. Ecuador is where my ministry was. It was everything to me. And I can remember turning to the doctors multiple times and saying, when will these babies be ready And he looking at me like, what are you, an idiot? I can hardly keep them alive. And you're talking about taking them to a foreign country at high altitude. We brought them home and they were on oxygen for over six months. Because 85% of their lungs were destroyed. And I was still trying to get them back to Ecuador. My own enthumen was deep inside here what drove me for significance in ministry, what I desired to accomplish. We had always overcome. We can do it. We can get those kids back to high altitude. They'll be fine. And what I didn't recognize is that God was trying to create a great dependence, creating me a heart that was yielded to Him and not dependent upon myself. And so He took two little babies And through the birth of those babies, he moved us to Costa Rica. I never wanted to go to Costa Rica. I had no clue what even was in Costa Rica. And even when we got to Costa Rica, I didn't want to stay in Costa Rica. But God used the twins to move our family to Costa Rica. And if you ask my family now what Costa Rica signifies to us, it's it's incredible what God did for us, in us, through us in Costa Rica. You see, resting before God does not put us in a place where we sit on our hands and have no clue, nor do we do anything. No, it places us in a position of great moments of action because in this moment of yielding who we are, of turning to Him because we can't figure this out, we can't solve this problem, this moment of bowing before Him in rest, recognizing our position before a sovereign and providential God gives God the material He needs 
to accomplish something great. You see, David turned, turned to this God and he said, now what do we do? And this God said, go after them. Round up the men and go after them. So David goes after them. He goes after them. So he grabs the men and he begins riding through the desert. Verse 10. But David pursued he, he and 400 men. So he starts off with how many? 600. 200 or so burned out and so tired from crying, they stay behind. So he grabs 400 and he keeps going. You see, he not only was willing to sit before God and rest, and then God says, go this direction, follow. David responds. He responds to how God leads. He goes. He doesn't retreat. He doesn't trust in himself. He rests. Now he responds. He goes where God asks him to go. And what's amazing here is that as they're plowing through the desert, and they're on horses, and they're men with a purpose, they want to accomplish what they need to accomplish. They want to get their families back. They see a guy, a young guy, a foreigner, an Egyptian, it says here. They found him, in verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And what do they do? Do they like, smack him around and say, hey, we're in a rush here. We need to find our families. Do you know anything? No, what do they do? They bring him to David, and what do they do? They love on this guy. They give him something to eat. You can see, boy, this guy's dehydrated. He's been in the desert for days by himself. He's had nothing to eat. They stop their pursuit of their families to take care of this one guy. How many of us would have just kept going? <laughs> hey, we got to go take care of our families. We got we to get our families. This guy is nothing. But they didn't do that. That demonstrated, that demonstrated great value for life. That God was working in David and his men to value life, even in the moment of great, great despair. So they stop, they give this guy some raisins, they give him bread, he eats. And in verse 13, and David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am the young man, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. I mean, it's just like a movie. They unlock another key. Because of their love and their attentiveness, they stop, they take care of the Egyptian, and God reveals one more key to finding their families. They didn't retreat. They didn't try to do things in their own power. They turn to God and rest in Him. Now they respond to His leading. And in their responding to, the, to God's leading, they stop in the middle of their journey to get their families and they take care of this young man. It's easy for us to get wrapped up. In 2019, you will face diversity. You will face difficulty. You will face challenges. And you will make them about you. Last night I received a phone call from, uh, from the church in Costa Rica. I know your church has given money to help one of the deacons in the church. You just gave an offering not too long ago to help Christian. Christian's a, a young man. Dave and Monica were very influential in leading them to Christ and discipling them. Christian is dying of cancer. I was talking to one of the pastors last night. And his comment was how difficult it is right now to help Chris to die gracefully. 
to get him to the moment that in this great diversity, this amazing challenge in his life, that he is able to be used of God to bless others through it. Can you imagine? You see, it's not about us. The great lie, the accusations that come into our lives in the moment of great difficulty is it's about you. This financial problem is your problem. You have to solve it. It's all about you. This sickness is about you. David stopped in pursuit of his family because it wasn't just about him. And through that, God reveals the next steps in the map to finding his family. And this young Egyptian man reveals to them, oh, I know where those guys are at. I know where to take you. You want your families back? I can lead you there. And so they go. And they attack. And they receive back all that is theirs. If they had tried to figure this out, if they had tried to solve the problem, if David had relied upon himself, if he had sought counsel from the other men, they would have never, ever been able to figure out where the Amalekites took their family. They would have never figured out how to get their wives and their children back. But the man that God was working in to make him a king was learning lessons through great suffering, through sleeping on the ground in caves, through fleeing for his life, through facing great difficulties. This man knew what it meant. Knew what it meant to face this challenge, respond to God's call, and let him figure it out. As you look down into the next few months, if you have been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, I can guarantee you, God is at work in trying to make you into something you cannot envision right now. And if you desire to take yourself out of that, to not permit God to do the work that he desires to do, the amazing thing about spiritual transformation is that we can resist it. We can resist it. God will not force you He will not manipulate you to become the one he desires. And so how we respond to his hand in 2019 will determine the man or the woman that we will become and the glory that he receives. The impact of the gospel through our lives is much more determined upon how God transforms our hearts than the words that are spoken. The power of the gospel comes out of a transformed heart through a story, through days, through weeks, through months, through years that can stand before a lost world and testify to a living God who overcomes this world. And as these men returned to their families and they stood with David, And David stood with them and rejoiced in the fact that God had provided. You don't think God received an amazing amount of glory and those men were empowered to do even far greater things. Let's pray.
Father, we just come before you this morning and we thank you for your desire to transform, to mold, to shape us. We thank you for a God who is close, not far. We just ask, dear Lord, that we would yield before you as we start this new year. That we would make a covenant, renew a covenant with you. A desire to open up our hearts and let your hands do the work they desire to do. I pray, God, you would take away obstacles. You would guide us and that we would be humble before you. In Christ's name I pray.